Welcome to episode 426 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature regular contributor, union leader and organizer, chair of the PA State Progressive Caucus, member of the executive committee of the PA State Democratic Committee, our resident politico, Dwayne Heisler. Dwayne and I talk about the American Rescue Plan, budgets as moral documents, the sweat of laborers. We discuss extreme Republican viewpoints, working with Republicans, nurses, the Senate, and blank checks to corporations ending up in the pockets of CEOs, among other things. A great conversation with Dwayne Heisler this week on the program. We have an EWSA titled Nexus. We share some very compelling statistics and findings as gathered and shared in Harper's Magazine for their 2021 June issue. And we have a poem called Left Field. All of this, of course, will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it. Episode 426 of Troubadours and Tours. is sweet, your eyes are like two jewels in the night. Your back is straight, your hair is smooth on the pillow where you lie. But I don't sense affection, no gratitude or love. Your loyalty is not for me, but to the stars above. One more cup of coffee for the road One more cup of coffee before I go to the valley below Your daddy, he's an outlaw a wanderer by trade He'll teach you how to pick and choose or how to throw a blade he oversees his kingdom, so no stranger does it true. His voice, it trembles as he calls out for another plate of food. One more cup of coffee for the road. One more cup of coffee before I go 
to the valley below Sister sees the future like your mama and yourself. You've never learned to read or write. There's no books upon your shelf. Your pleasure knows no limits. Your voice is like a metal log. But your soul is like the ocean, mysterious and dark. One more cup of coffee. For the road One more cup of coffee Before I go To the valley below To the valley below Nexus, labor of love, symbols in a dove, a streetcar named Desire, thank you, Tennessee, aperitifs in the vineyard next to the harvesting equipment, nights spent around a communal fire, singing songs out in the country sleeping on the ground in tents and shacks and inside the van. My friends Havarth and Zandi are somewhere in the Caribbean, living on a virgin island. Those Mexican families I saw at the farmer's market are back home in Texas, landscaping the lawns of folks with big, bodacious SUVs and sleek fleets of Lexus. Many of the fifth-generation poor white people, barely able to make ends meet, out in the street in Manhattan, Central PA, in the Green Mountains of Vermont, down in Maryland, over there in Shomi, Missouri, and on and on. How do we respond? We organize ourselves to figure out what ails our society, our philosophy. We are all brothers and sisters. I believe this to be true. Me and you, us and them, into we, one big dysfunctional family. And the only way out of the haze of malaise is by working together as simultaneously each of us stands strong on our own the best we can. No more living as bamboozled, distracted drones. Look into the eyes of the patrons, earnest and brave. This is our time here. This is our home. Enlightened as one, this world we will save. 
Heisler, is that you? Yes, it's Dwayne Heisler. <laughs> All right, Dwayne Heisler, a regular contributor to Troubadours and Rock on Tours. He's a union leader and organizer with SEIU, chair of the PA State Progressive Caucus, member of the executive committee of the PA State Democratic Committee, among other things. It's uh, always a pleasure to have you on the program, Dwayne. How's it going? It's going well. Um, I had a um, an amazing day yesterday in Harrisburg, and it felt good to be outside. Honestly, um, we were we were down in Harrisburg. Um, uh, actually, you know, with SCIU Healthcare, we were one of the last organizations to leave. And in March, we were at the Capitol, and now we're one of the first ones there um, because we're in the middle. And I know this may not sound too sexy, but we're in the middle of budget season, uh, which hopefully will be completed um, be, uh, by the end of this month. And so that's why we were there. Well, and sort of kind of like uh, lobbying, I suppose. Yes, um, but it's a really unique year. And, you know, this is not just about Pennsylvania. This is about the whole country because there's a ton of money, billions of dollars every state is, um, you know, has on the table right now uh, because of the um, uh, uh, the American Rescue Plan and those funds that went to states and they're figuring out their budgets and how they're going to spend it. So, yes, lobbying is is the bottom line there. But, you know, it made me think when I was um, thinking about today's program, I was thinking about, you know, the budget and you know, most people don't get in the weeds about the budget, but how a budget is, and maybe you've heard this term before, I don't know, like a budget is a moral document. Have you heard that? Yes, I, yes I have. Yeah. And so I did a little bit of research on that to see, like, where did that actually come from? And a lot of people attribute it to um, MLK. 
um, that uh, a budget is a moral document. And I found in his speech at Riverside Church in 1967, he made a statement that a nation that continues year after year to spend money on military defense, then on programs to for social uplift is approaching spiritual death. And that kind of relates to it, I think. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I couldn't find like the actual quote like that, but I did find like there was a statement a few years earlier in 53 from Eisenhower who talked about like every gun that is made, every warship that is launched, every rocket that is fired um, uh, signifies in a final sense a theft from those who are hungry and not fed, those who are cold and not clothed. And he even later on goes on to mention specifically hospitals and healthcare. He says like, the world in arms is not spending money alone. Um, it's spending the sweat of its laborers. So here I am as a union person, you know, the sweat of its laborers, the genius of its science, the hopes of its children, uh, the cost of one modern heavy bomber. And I remember this is in 1953 was um, a, a, a modern brick school um, in more than 30 cities. It was two electrical power plants serving over 60,000 people. It's two finely and fully equipped hospitals. Um, so, you know, and, and he goes on and talking about that this is really not a way of life when we're, you know, sacrificing a single destroyer for uh, housing for 8,000 people, that this is under the cloud and threat of war and that humanity is hanging on this iron cross. He said something like that. So it made me really think about like... And he's a general, I should add, right? He, we're talking about a general. Yes, yes. But then he takes the other extreme, like Gandhi. So Gandhi had his seven social sins, right? And number four is the one that I think really speaks to this, the idea of a budget being a moral document. Probably number four and number seven. So number one is wealth without work. Um, these are the, the seven social sins by Gandhi. Um, number two, pleasure without conscience. Number three, knowledge without character. Number four, commerce without morality. Mm-hmm. Science without humanity, religion without sacrifice, and number seven, politics without principle. <laughs> <laughs> He's rolling so around combine, in his grave right now looking at the U.S. Right? If you combine four and seven, I think that speaks to like a, a budget being a moral document. And then speaking of moral documents, the Bible, you know, where it says, for where your treasure is, there, there will your heart be also, which is in Matthew. Wow. So you really so, believe it. You really believe in the importance of a budget as well. We should. And I, I like all of these connections you're making to some of the great thinkers and, uh, you know, the great examples of human consciousness. Yeah. And, and so, but the unifying thing here that I, I, I want to make sure that we're, we realize is this is happening all across the country. You know, states are trying to figure out what to, ha what to do with how to spend this money. And the argument that we were making in Harrisburg is we need to do the right thing. We need to do the right thing. And what does the right thing look like? Well, first of all, there's over, well, there's about $7 billion from the ARP, uh, the American Rescue Plan that's coming into Pennsylvania. And there are all kinds of plans out there of how that money is going to be spent. Um, you know, there's like 2.4 of it going towards people, like in a broad category, which would be like 
21st century childcare and business assistance and education and community support and job training, those kind of things. And then there's actual projects like infrastructure and economic development. That's like a 2.4, 2.5 billion there. And then the public health one, that's the segment we're talking about. Like, how is that money going to be spent? That's over a billion, like a 1.1 or 1.2 billion, which needs to be invested in our healthcare systems in, of course, in public health equity and in vaccine confidence because we're still not out of this pandemic and also to make sure that you know frontline healthcare workers are funded and that's where we really dug in because the last time we got money there was a blank check that was written and when you write blank checks mm. to corporations that control our healthcare system guess what it doesn't end up at bedside no no they they go back to that whole trickle down mentality no we'll take care of it and you'll get a little piece here and there we'll trickle down some on you and when you say we, you're talking about your organization, SEIU, I believe. Yes, but it's not only SEIU, it's all of our partners. Um, there are uh, numerous partners that understand that we can't have healthy communities if we don't have healthy healthcare workers, right? And, and that's what it really comes down to. And now there's no excuses because the money is there. And so basically, the Pennsylvania health for the healthcare workforce has literally been annihilated. I think that is the best word for it because we have been stretched to the breaking point after years of understaffing. And then the pandemic, which you know was was and is an unimaginable like physical, uh, financial, emotional, mental toll on healthcare workers. And the bottom line is that we do not have enough healthcare workers to take care of our families. We do not have enough healthcare workers to take care of our families. And that includes hospitals, nursing homes, and home care settings, and even our public health sector. It's all struggling. And so we were there to let legislators know they can actually do something about that. And we had some proposals in front of them to, to see, or demands actually, that this is where the money needs to be spent if it's going to be spent at, at, um, at bedside. When you're dealing with uh, the, the um, Pennsylvania Congress, which is predominantly Republican, how yeah. difficult is, is that? Because we're talking, you know, a lot of people, when they describe Pennsylvania, you know, James Carvel's famous uh, analysis is it's uh, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh with Alabama in between, right? Uh, how difficult is it to deal with that mentality, that, that Alabama sort of mentality in our, in our Congress in Pennsylvania? So the good news, um, I actually, we the way that we structured this was we had some tents set up outside and we had legislators come out and speak with teams of folks outside to try and keep it as safe as possible. But there were certain legislators who were either unable or unwilling to come outside. And so we went inside. So I actually led a small team. There were a few small teams inside the building. I led a team to go visit senators and members of the House of Representatives for the state and actually visited with some folks. And although most of them were drop-offs because they were in meetings, I did have a meeting with one conservative legislator and also with another legislator with their chief of staff, who's also conservative. And those conversations actually went very well uh, because we I, I, I think our health is a pretty unifying 
um, uh, value. You know, the, the idea that that um, no matter if you are black or white, if you are or brown or or you live in this zip code or that zip code, if you're rural, if you're urban, if you know, um, no matter what it is, we all value healthy, healthy families, healthy communities and, and our own health. And I think we also kind of agree. And I was I was specifically going around with some um, home health care workers that. People are happier and healthier when they can stay in their own homes. Instead of going to a hospital. Yeah, or a nursing home. Or a nursing now, home. Like, like speaking of nursing homes, over half of the COVID deaths in Pennsylvania, half of all COVID deaths in Pennsylvania were in nursing homes. And that can be directly linked to poor staffing. We didn't have enough staff to make sure everything was clean. We didn't have enough staff to make sure to follow all the procedures. It's staffing. And when you're under that kind of pressure and you're making $10 or $11 an hour, you qualify for aid yourself. How in the world can you take care of other people during a pandemic when you don't even have your own health insurance right. or you can't take care of yourself? And when these things were brought before these legislators, it kind of made sense, like, and it was it was encouraging. I mean, the assistance, the in, insisting that the funds go to like staffing and bedside care, making sure that it is transparent and accountable. Because when you just write a blank check, it doesn't work. You know, you end up with CEOs that make all this money, and they are not hiring additional staff. They are not, you know, increasing the salaries of frontline healthcare workers, which is what is needed during a pandemic to make sure that you have the infrastructure. You know, it, it, it's I, we've talked about safe staffing here before. Um, you know, the the idea that we're pushing in nursing homes, since you mentioned that, like four point one, means that in a twenty four hour period, what we're fighting for is to have at least 4.1 hours of direct care for your family members in a nursing home. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're you're uh you're spot on of course. You're an expert in this area when it comes to nursing homes based on what I hear anecdotally from from uh, friends and and uh family members when when you put somebody into a nursing home because you just can't take care of them yourself and you don't have the 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 money to put them into the highest, you know, quality I suppose, private care. Uh, they're they they're not going to be tended to as well as they would be if they were at home. Um, and that leads usually to a, a death or a, a pain and suffering that wouldn't occur otherwise. Uh, so it, this, this does translate these decisions as you go back into uh, talking about the, a budget as a moral document into life and death, and, yes. and you know, and, and just people feeling uh, like they're 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 cared for, they're loved. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what was was hitting home. We were talking about our family members and, you know, many of us have lost loved ones in the past year, um, you know, uh, either directly or indirectly to the pandemic. And I think we can relate to that. The nursing home industry is in crisis in the state of Pennsylvania. It immediately needs two hundred and fifty million dollars, but it needs to go to bedside 
to bedside, to the front lines, not to executive CEOs or to people, you know, somehow to make their bottom line look good in their shareholder agreements in these private industries. That's why a blank check doesn't work. So that's kind of on the nursing home side. But on the home health side, it's incredible because when when we talk with legislators, they get the idea that, yeah, we really need to make sure that we can keep people in their homes as long as possible because that's the place where they get the best care. And uh, But sadly, that's not the reality. Home health care workers are under tremendous strain. Um, I When I was running around the Capitol yesterday uh, in Harrisburg, I was with a home care worker that was making around $11 an hour. She did not have her own health insurance. And here's the sad thing. The person that she was caring for, when, um, when he either would get admitted into the hospital or needed some other care, she comes off the clock. Hmm. And that could be for who knows how long. And effectively, she's unemployed at that point because you can't have two entities billing for the care of someone at the same time. But yet this is a full-time care position. What is she supposed to do? Exactly. And, and what does that say about our um, priorities in this country? When, when you look at both ends, you know, you look, I'll go to children too. We, we, we don't feel, or for what, whatever reason, we haven't pushed our, our uh, representatives in government to fund daycare across the board, right, for, for, for uh, everyone in this country. And, and at the tail end of the life cycle, we, we don't push our legislatures to take care of our elders in this country. Uh, I, I don't, I don't understand again, what that says about us as a, as a society. Yes, it, it really, it really makes you pause and, and think about that. When you say education in Pennsylvania, that's so true. We've never really had a fully funded, uh, educational budget in the state of Pennsylvania. We rank among the last, I think we're like 46th or 47th in Alabama, the- yeah. Alabama. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, Dwayne. I, you know, I'm a Pennsylvanian. You're a Pennsylvanian. We're uh, proud Pennsylvanians, but there's a lot of things about Pennsylvania that is not Philadelphia, is not Pittsburgh, is not northeastern Pennsylvania. I, I think northeastern Pennsylvania is pretty progressive compared to that middle part of the state. I mean, there are fellow citizens, but I'm upset with with who they put in in office because those are the folks that keep us from doing what is the right thing, as you put it. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, it it can be discouraging, but I always try to look at what the solutions are and trying to uh, make sure that that people's voices are heard. And I I think that's the I mean, isn't that what government's supposed to be all about? And and us coming together and, you know, and moving forward together. uh, And that's how we get through these things. This is how we get through a pandemic. This is how we um, we improve the lives of our families and and everyone around us in our communities is by doing that. And I, I don't I don't like to give too much oxygen to the the naysayers. I really want to dig in on what are we doing to lift people up? And I think that we were able to do some of that in Harrisburg yesterday. I felt confident that our message was being delivered and being heard. Um, and um, and hopefully within the next week and a half actually acted on. And we see that moral document, that budget, reflect the values that people have for their families, for their communities, for their health and well-being. And not only for healthcare, but for education as well. You know, we're looking at right now in Pennsylvania, the PASHI, the Pennsylvania Higher Education uh, System, our, 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 our state-run um, uh, universities 
Um, they're going. Uh, they're looking at a consolidation plan, which is just a terrible yeah. bad deal. Doesn't save money. Um, there's been a lot of work around that. I could not imagine. Like I live near the town of Bloomsburg. I could not imagine what Bloomsburg would look like without a university. It would be devastated. Right. Absolutely devastated. And, and the the goal of higher education is actually to like educate you know, educate kids, educate college kids, right? College adults, young adults. And and you don't achieve that by consolidating. You actually achieve it by investing in that as a priority, as a moral obligation. And, and so it speaks to that as well. Again, it goes back to those Republicans and that backward mentality. And you could be, you have to be nice to them because you work with them, and you, you know, you can't get them too upset with you because they won't talk with you. But I'm telling you, they need to come a long way. And I, well, but they're not compelled to because there are too many people uh, in this state and across the country who still, you know, put signs in their front yard saying "Stop the steal, Trump 2024." 20, uh, their mentality is skewed to crazy. And 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 not uh, uh, thinking about the greater good, you know, and not not talking about what is best for our citizens in, in terms of giving them access, giving them security. Uh, and it, it troubles me. It worries me. And you have to work in the front lines. And I understand that. And you, you can't come in brandishing uh, a sword and threatening and, and, and insulting because that'll never work. It's unhealthy. But, man, there are many of us out here like me who are frustrated, very frustrated at the mentality the, and, and, and the, the neg- negative outcomes that come from that backward, almost hate-driven mentality. Am I too far off base here? And, and are well, you hearing this from other other people that you uh, sort of uh, are a voice for in, the, in this great state of Pennsylvania? And do you see it across the nation as well? Or how does Pennsylvania match up with New York and with Jersey and Ohio and, and such, the states that are around us? Well, um, absolutely, I'm hearing it. I think you would have to be completely tone deaf not to hear it. Um, it is there. It is present. And it is especially amplified in a state like Pennsylvania because we are indeed a swing state. And so, uh, yes, um, all of those things are true. All of those things are happening. And it can be reflected in the um, the push on um, basically against our freedom to vote and being able to vote um, and, and all of the things associated with that, mm. um, all the way down to the budget, too. You know, if you look at the Department of Human Services, they only ever fund it halfway. And let's make no mistake, our legislature is a Republican legislature. They're the ones that create the budget. The governor can just veto it or offer plans, but does not actually write the budget. It's actually the legislature that puts that together, and then the governor signs off on it. So when we have uh, a half-funded you know, Department of Human Services, that means that we're not able to build that home care workforce that we need to actually keep people in their homes and healthy and happy and productive in society. Many of these folks just need people to get them started in the day so that they can work from at home, you know, um, and, and, and even just to fill the public uh, nurse vacancies, there's over we, there's another 25 million that's needed there because we actually have positions that are open, but we don't have it funded to actually hire the nurses that we need to get out into the homes. And so it's incredibly frustrating. And I think in healthcare, 
I, I don't want to use the cliche, like the rubber really meets the road. Like you can see it play out in daily lives, the the suffering and the, the, the lack of care that people actually have because those um, those moral decisions aren't being made with the idea of of uh, of everyday people. Hey, well, well said, Dwayne Heisler on the program. He is uh, the union, a union leader and organizer with SEIU, chair of the PA State Progressive Caucus, member of the executive committee and chair of the PA State Democratic Committee, among other things. And, uh, you know, when when we take a step back, you said we're a swing state, and indeed we are. Uh, we, we have um, two senators, as every other state in this great nation. Uh, soon, another one of our uh, one of our two senators' seats will be up for uh, election, and uh, we have uh, a Republican who's stepping down, Toomey, and we have um, the lieutenant governor right now, a Democrat who's pretty progressive, trying to fill that slot. What do you think his chances are that, that if we get him in there, then maybe we could get some things done because we'll have uh, a majority Democratic Senate. Well, first of all, we have a number of um, of incredible candidates that are putting their name in the hat for Senate. Um, the governor, or the I'm sorry, the lieutenant governor uh, John Fetterman was the one of the first though to actually openly do that. And I have to confess here, when he did that, there were no other people running. Just to clarify, um, I immediately went to his website. I made a donation towards him, and I bought a T-shirt that says "Legalize Marijuana." <laughs> Yeah, that's so, his big. That's one of his big issues. Yeah, it really is, and not just for medicinal. I mean, it's it's legalizing marijuana. And Period. Yeah, yeah. This, this we could have a whole podcast just on that, but um, but uh, yeah, um, uh, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman has an incredible appeal to the Pennsylvania public. Uh, he always has. Um, you know, former mayor of Braddock, uh, he is um, kind of a no nonsense guy. Um, uh, and um, the recent polling, as I saw as of last week, now it is so so early. And so, if you if me if you give me a dollar and I'll give you these poll, and maybe you know it could get me a cup of coffee or something. But the polling right now has him has him in the lead um, for that race. Um, not only with uh, the other uh, Democratic uh, uh, primary uh, folks who would be running for that Senate seat, but also against um, the Republicans who have thrown their names in the hat as well. So he is um, is uh, at this point the front runner, if there can be one at this hour, you know, um, uh, for that. And um, I think it would be incredibly impactful for Pennsylvania to have two Democratic senators, especially someone like uh, the, like the folks like with uh, Senator Casey and Senator Fairman. And by the way, Senator Casey has been on fire. Uh, he, I, I, you know, he probably has five events scheduled for today. I just saw him in Allentown, uh, speaking, uh, for once again, home healthcare workers there. Um, we were on, uh, I, he's just been all over the place. He's just been every, everywhere I turn around, I see Bob Casey and he is on his soapbox, Senator Casey, um, talking about what we need regarding the American, um, the American rescue plan, but also the American jobs plan, which is the next big piece that we have to, we have to get right. Um, and he's been an incredible spokesman person for that. And so it would be great to have that delegation from Pennsylvania in our Senate, um, and that's a possibility. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Senator Casey. Uh, he's more modern than I am, but I 
I respect him greatly. I think he is genuinely a good person, and uh, I think he has been on fire, as you put it. Uh, he he, um, I, you know, he's he's earnest, and and he has integrity uh, for sure. And I'm I'm proud that he's our one of our two senators. I'd love to see Fetterman or any Democrat, to be honest with you, uh, replace uh, Senator Toomey. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, what. I mean, I used to feel the same way about Senator Casey about being moderate, and you know, anymore, Larry, I don't, I don't believe that moderates actually exist. Um, I know that might go contrary to what a lot of people think. I think of the middle as being the persuadable. You know, there a lot of these issues. There's, you know, either you're, you're going to fund it or you're not going to fund it. There's like you can't. It's hard to go halfway, like you know, in between. It just, it just doesn't work that way. But I'll tell you what, uh, Casey has been really leading um, in the Senate. He has really found his voice in the Senate, and I feel proud of him, especially as chair of the Progressive Caucus. By the way, you gave me a promotion. I, I am on the executive committee for the state Democratic Party, but I'm certainly not the chair. Oh. It's, it's Chairwoman Nancy Mills who does I a fabulous job. It's okay. I, I, I am on the executive committee, though, so that is right. I'm chair of the Progressive Caucus, and wearing that hat, I can say I am incredibly proud of the work that that Senator Bob Casey has done because he sounds he sounds and is because he's putting his money where his mouth is. He is a progressive. And I never thought I'd hear myself say that. But, you know, uh, over the past actually, it's been over the past few years, I have seen a change. And I don't know if others have as well. But he has really, really taken up um, a lot of her. Well, so is the whole country. I mean, weren't we at a point not too long ago where we thought health care for everyone was like craziness? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we the whole country has really shifted towards thinking like, hey, all these other countries do it. We're supposed to be like the best country. Why can't we do this? There's a way I'm so tired of the opposition telling us all the time why we can't have a clean environment, why we can't have health care for everyone, why all the reasons why we can't do these things. And all it is is self-serving because they want to retain power. They're using it to retain power and also to make money. While we fight with each other. Well said. Well said. Dwayne Heisler, regular contributor on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, our resident politico. And uh, he he does a lot of uh, important work with many of his colleagues for um, for we, the people. And I appreciate all that you do, Dwayne. I really, I really feel uh, uh, hopeful and, and confident that um, our voices are being heard with folks like you, uh, going to, to places like Harrisburg and talking to our our, uh, our Congress people. So thank you so much for being on the program, for doing all the work you do in the field. And I look forward to talking with you again very soon. Sounds like a plan. I look forward to it. And hopefully we'll have a budget in Pennsylvania that reflects our values. And to everyone else who's listening, hopefully that happens in your state too. But it doesn't happen by sitting back. You actually have to get engaged. So I would challenge you to reach out to your local legislature, your lo- local, um, whoever is your your house, uh, your house of representative uh, representative uh, for your district, and also in the Senate. And this is on a state level because that's where we actually where the funds actually come from. You know, once the the, the federal government has done their job with the American Rescue Plan, and now it's time for the states to do theirs and make sure that we get the health care that we need. Well said. 
Thank you, Dwayne. Have a good summer. We'll be talking with you again soon. Okay, take care. Take care. Some statistics, actual statistics and actual findings as gathered and published by Harper's Magazine for their June 2021 issue. First, some statistics. Number of U.S. state legislatures that are considering new voting restrictions. 
47. Number of such bills being considered, 361. Average percentage by which the rate of police killings in a U.S. city decreases one year after its first Black Lives Matter protest, 14% decrease. Five years after its first Black Lives Matter protest, decreases by 30%. Percentage of Democratic or Democratic-leaning voters who are, quote, extremely concerned about Trump supporters, 82%, who are, quote, extremely concerned about voter suppression, 53%. Estimated percentage by which the option to vote by mail increased voter turnout in Texas last year, two-hundredths of a percent. Percentage by which streaming video in standard rather than high definition reduces its carbon footprint, 86%. By which turning off the camera during a Zoom call reduces its carbon footprint, 96%. Minimum number of state governments that are funding efforts to modify the weather with cloud seeding. Six, number by which the sperm count of the average human male is declining each year, five million year in which human sperm counts will reach zero at the current rate, 2045. Percentage decrease in the projected number of U.S. births this year, 8% decrease. Percentage of single Americans who say they are masturbating more than once a day, 30%. Who say they are masturbating more than ever before. 48%. And now, some findings, actual findings. Data from 162 countries indicated that people with higher incomes are prouder and less fearful. Wealth inequality among pre-Columbian Mesoamerican societies, as measured by house size, was highest when governance was concentrated among the smallest number of people. A study of Florentines from 1427 to 2011 found low intergenerational socioeconomic mobility. Spinal degeneration was found to be markedly worse among lower-class late medieval skeletons buried at the monastery of San Pietro at Villamagna. The graves of warriors at Valsgard were found to contain bedding made with feathers from crows, ducks, geese, grouse, sparrows, and waders, along with a beheaded owl. Ethiopian doctors reported that they had successfully delivered locked twins without having to decapitate either one. While in the United States, car seat laws were found to have a contraceptive effect and to be responsible since 1980 for a deficit of 145,000 U.S. births. 2% of teens eat enough vegetables, and alcohol poisoning incidents involving super-sized alcopops disproportionately involve underage drinkers. Western individualism contributes to parental burnout, Building on previous studies that have shown the wise to be less lonely 
and the lonely to be less wise, psychiatrists determined that the feces of the wise and unlonely exhibit a more diverse intestinal microbiome. And conservatives are increasingly unwilling to participate in research trials. How about that?
can't get out of my own mind I know how to sing about Left field. High fly ball off the bat at home plate does not discriminate. Its trajectory in real time as the left fielder positions and waits. His glove up and snags the threaded sphere out of the air to cheers and adulation. Caps and gloves thrown up high. The kids are champions. The late afternoon, June sky, so wonderful and clear. Getting better and better 
darling Sean And there you have it, episode 426 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Dwayne Heisler, Harper's Magazine, and these musical artists... Thelonious Monk, Tom Jones, Filthy Friends of Montreal, Fortet, His Golden Messenger, John Lennon, and of course, Terrence Blanchard and Branford Marsalis, too. And I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself.